Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Source Code Podcast. I'm Chris Sanders, and you're listening to our second episode ever. And folks, I got to tell you, since the uh, the first episode released just a couple weeks ago, I've been really blown away by the response this thing has gotten. I really, when I started doing this, I said, okay, if I can just get a couple dozen listeners every episode, that'd be a pretty cool thing. And so far, I just checked the stats from the first episode, and we're measuring our listeners in the thousands right now, which is mind-blowing to me. Uh, I would probably keep doing this uh, regardless because I really enjoy talking to people and talking about their stories and how they got into the field and such. Uh, but the fact that so many of you have written me and told me you enjoy it as well and you really enjoyed last week hearing from Ed Scotus, uh, that's just such a cool thing. So I'm really excited for that. Continue writing with your feedback. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, let me know at Chris Sanders. 88 on Twitter, and make sure you write our guest as well. I know Ed Scotus, he was such a great guest last week, and a lot of you loved what he had to say. A lot of wisdom was imparted, and that's just a super, uh, super cool thing. With that said, let's go ahead and get on over to our guest this week, which is a dear friend of mine, Mr. Doug Burks. Uh, Doug and I worked at the same place for a little while at Mandiant. Uh, we've stayed in good contact now. He actually lives uh, just down the road from me. I'm in uh, in Gainesville, Georgia. He's down in Augusta. Uh, so we're going to talk to him. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of great stuff. We're first of all going to talk about Security Onion, which is the very popular Linux distribution he's built uh, that provides a full network security monitoring environment in just a few minutes. Uh, a great product great tool. I use it. I recommend it to a lot of people. So he's going to talk about how that came to be, uh, the story of, of uh, the Genesis story of Security Onion, and eventually how that led him to form his own company where now he's providing Security Onion uh, consulting and training services and all that. You're also going to hear Doug talk about Augusta, which is the town he grew up in, uh, the town he's lived most of his life in, and the town he lives in now. Uh, Doug cares very deeply for his community, and he spends a lot of time giving back to that community, and I think that's just such an admirable thing. So you're going to hear him talk about how Augusta is becoming this cybersecurity mecca, all the great things uh, going on there as well. It's going to be great. And with that said, let's go ahead and bring Doug on in here. Mr. Doug Burks, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I am much better now that you're here. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, too kind. <laughs> now tell me, uh, for the folks listening, of course, a lot of people listening probably know uh, a little bit about Security Onion, and as a result, they, they know about you. But for the folks who maybe don't, tell us a little bit about, about who you are, about Security Onion, and about Security Onion Solutions to kind of set the stage. Uh, so I'm Doug Burks. I'm the CEO of Security Onion Solutions, uh, which is a company that I started a couple of years ago to provide professional services and training for this open source project that I started way back in 2008 called Security Onion. Uh, so Security Onion as an open source project is a Linux distribution used for intrusion detection, network security monitoring, and log management to help folks peel back the layers of their network and make their adversaries cry. Wonderful. I, I, I don't guess I, I always forget that it was 2008. Like, does it seem like it's been almost 10 years to you? That's crazy, right? Uh, I mean, it, it really does seem like, you know, just yesterday, like these years have flown by. Uh, and you know, the, I mean, the funny thing is I, I have two little girls, uh, and they've grown up just like security onion has grown up. So it's kind of like, you know, security onion is the son that I never had. 
Uh, and so now he's he's approaching, you know, it, it won't be long before he's in those awkward tween years. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens then. Yeah, well, well, hopefully it doesn't get into that phase where he's like an awkward teenager who hates his parents and nothing works anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool. Well, I want to take things back and kind of start at the beginning. And, and you live not too awful far from where I live now in, in Georgia. You're in the, uh, the great city of what I say, Augusta, but you say Augusta. Uh, one day I'll get it right. <laughs> Uh, but tell me what was, what was like life like for you growing up young little Doug Burks in Augusta? So growing up in Augusta, um, fairly small city and all of my friends in school were always saying, got to get out of Augusta, got to get out of Augusta. And, and sure enough, most of them did. Most of my friends moved away to Atlanta or, or Charlotte or other big cities like that. And I kind of figured that at some point I would have to do the same if I wanted to get like a real computer job for a real company. Uh, and so it's, it's really uh, amazing how things have changed here in Augusta. And, you know, now we find ourselves being the, the home of U.S. Army Cyber Command. And, you know, we're, we're going to have 5,000 new cyber jobs here over the next couple of years. Uh, and so it's, it's really amazing the transformation that has taken place. It's, it's certainly a, a much different atmosphere than it was growing up here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I personally think of Augusta kind of as a, as a decent sized city. But then again, I grew up in a town of like less than 10,000 people. So <laughs> relative is everything. There's probably people from Atlanta listening to this right now and they're thinking, oh, tiny little Augusta. Did you have a sense when you were a kid, did you feel like Augusta was just like a little Ponoc town or it was a big city? I mean, what did you what was your perception at that time? Well, you know, it's like you said, I mean, everything is relative. And, and so for me, um, you know, I kind of felt like uh, I realized that Atlanta, Charlotte, D.C., these were these were much larger cities. Um, but, you know, I never really experienced that much because honestly, we didn't travel that much when I was a kid. So I, I think I knew intellectually that, you know, our, our city was not that big. But, you know, I, I hadn't really visited that many other cities as a kid other than than maybe Atlanta or Charlotte. Uh, and so that was kind of my, my reference for the world. I, I knew that we were smaller than they were, but you know, I, I couldn't really tell you much more than that as a kid. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, like I said before, you know, all of my friends were, were just dead set on got to get out of Augusta, got to get out of Augusta. And, you know, so it's been amazing to be able to, to live here my entire life, uh, and see how much, uh, this area has changed and grown and really kind of embraced this uh, kind of new direction for the area of really focusing on cyber uh, and really showing the world what we as a city have to offer. So tell me, what were you like as as a student? I mean, were you a really good student? Were you kind of distracted by other things? How would you describe yourself as a student kind of kind of in your younger and formative years? Uh, as a student, I was I was a stereotypical nerd. Uh, I was I was pretty much straight A's all through high school, uh, and it was just it was just easy. I could just go to class and I could listen to the teacher and I could take the test and I could answer all the questions. And it was there was really not much effort required, which was a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, I did very well academically all through high school, but then. When I finally got to college, 
because I never learned how to study, because I never had to, uh, I never developed that self-discipline that was necessary. So when I finally got to college, uh, I was in for a rude awakening. Uh, and my first couple of years in college were really kind of rough. Uh, I didn't do very well. Uh, and I, I got really, really frustrated just because I had never developed that self-discipline. I had never learned how to actually sit down and study. Wow. And that's interesting to me because because knowing you, you're probably one of the most disciplined guys I think I've ever met. Uh, there's legendary stories about you know, you're up at like 430 every every morning working on security onion and, and, and all, all this. And uh, I, it's hard for me to picture you as a guy without that level of discipline. Well, you know, I think that's one of those things where, um, you know, you've known me for the past 10 or so years. Uh, but, you know, going back to my college years, uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, and so, so yes, I've certainly had to, to force myself to develop a whole lot of discipline that was not there naturally when I was a kid. Uh, and so really just kind of doing that out of necessity, fi- figuring out what works for me in terms of, you know, uh, you mentioned getting up early in the morning and, and sure enough, I was up at 430 this morning. Um, you know, but that's something that works for me is getting up early uh, and getting things done before the rest of my family gets up and things start getting really loud and crazy in the house. Um, but I, I think that's one of the things that you know, just takes time and it's different for everybody where, you know, different folks have different learning styles, different folks have different styles of self-discipline. And so you really have to figure out what works for you. Uh, And so for me, you know, I tried a whole bunch of different things, especially when I got to college and I really was struggling. You know, I I said, well, okay, I'm going to sit here in class and I'm going to try to write down everything that the professor says. And so then after class, I'm going to try to sit down and reread that stuff. And that strategy really did not work well for me. Uh, I realized that I learned much better just by sitting and listening to the professor and engaging uh, rather than trying to record on a piece of paper and scribble down all these notes about what they're saying. So I, I think it comes down to you know figuring out what works well for you and figuring out what is it going to take to develop that self-discipline to figure out where you are right now, figure out where you want to be and what steps you're going to have to take to get there. Yeah, that's great. And it's funny hearing you say that because I, you know, having sat through your courses before, I can see a lot of things you're talking about, about engaging and, and, and reflecting. I can see that in your courses. Like when you, when you go through a demo with someone and then have them do it by themselves instead of having them try to follow along with you. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that's exactly where that statement and where that strategy comes from. Uh, realizing that for me, uh, if I were the student in the class and I was trying to, you know, scribble down everything that, that this Doug Burks guy was trying to tell me, uh, it, it would just be overwhelming and I wouldn't be able to, to focus on listening and learning because I'd be so focused on writing and really just transcribing uh, the words that were coming out of some guy's mouth. And so, you know, it's very important for me as an instructor to really take what I've learned about myself as a student, what works for me and what didn't work for me, uh, and really kind of uh, translate that into the classroom experience so that hopefully my students can uh, succeed much faster 
because they're not having to struggle with the same things that I struggled with. Yeah. And, and there's a lesson here too, that discipline can be learned because you said yourself, you weren't always this super disciplined guy. So for those who are listening and you know, maybe you're, you're younger, you're in college or earlier in your career, just because maybe you don't have the discipline you want now, it sounds like that can be learned and, and learned through kind of experimentation. And like you said, figuring out what works. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think a good parallel here is, um, recently we've been watching this Netflix show, the, uh, the ultimate Beastmaster, or whatever it's called. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like American Ninja Warrior or something like that. And I'm, I'm not a physically fit guy, but when you hear these people tell their stories, you know, m- many of them come from a life of obesity or some kind of, you know, a tragic accident or some kind of obstacle that they had to overcome. And, you know, for them, they had to figure out what is what is going to be their method of self-discipline uh, and, you know, getting in the gym every single day and working out uh, and eating right and doing all those things, you know, and, and that really got me to thinking about the fact that I, I really am overweight and out of shape. Uh, and so, you know, even though I'm, I'm pretty well self-disciplined when it comes to my my craft, my job, my my profession, my business, uh, you know, maybe there's other areas of my life where I really do need to build up that self-discipline that I've, I've never had. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Not, not all discipline is created equal. It varies based upon different facets of life. And yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Now tell me this technology, were you interested in computers from an early age, like pre-college or did that come later? Absolutely. So um, my, my dad was always kind of tinkering with electronics and, and computers. And, and so I got very, very interested at an early age. I got my very first computer when I was six years old. So for, for Christmas, I asked my parents for a Commodore 16 and they got it for me. And it was probably the best $100 that they ever spent. Uh, so I, I hooked my Commodore 16 up to the TV. I started writing programs in basic and I was just hooked on this world of computers. You know, as I think as a, as a kid, that's something that's really kind of empowering because as a kid, you're always being told what to do by your parents and other authority figures. And I think when, when kids see that, hey, I can sit down at this computer and I can tell it what to do. <laughs> that's really, really empowering when you can tell something what to do and right or wrong, it has to do exactly what you told it to do. So I was very much hooked on the world of computers um, from from six years old on. Uh, and, you know, about that same time, I, I saw the movie War Games, which is still to this day one of my favorite movies of all times. And, uh, you know, so this movie War Games really kind of showcasing this intersection of computers and warfare and uh, was really kind of prophetic about, you know, all the stuff that we're seeing today and over the last few years and and really the state of the world uh, as we give more and more control of our society over to computers. uh, We're now at the mercy of those machines. uh, And so, you know, it just makes it that much more important for us to uh, understand the machines, understand uh, what is our relationship with them, how much control do we have over them. Um, and so I, I really kind of learned that lesson at a very early age. And uh, kind of the other thing that was 
very informative for me at a young age was uh, in middle school, a family friend, he said, uh, hey, Doug, you're into computers, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you need to read this book. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's called The Cuckoo's Egg. And uh, so I know for a lot of folks in our industry, that really kind of was uh, the tipping point uh, and certainly was for me as well, you know, because now reading this book about this guy, Cliff Stoll, who found this German hacker breaking into United States systems and selling secrets to the Russian KGB, you know, now this is this is something that I saw in the movie War Games, but this is real life. This is this is good versus evil in the world of computers, and this is actually happening right here and now. And so, you know, that was kind of those three things of of getting that first computer and and seeing that movie War Games and reading that book, The Cuckoo's Egg. Those three events really helped kind of show me that you know this is a um, this is a career pathway that is going to be long-term, it's going to be sustainable, it's going to be challenging. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, recently somebody said that uh, cybersecurity is potentially the most uh, intellectually challenging profession in the world. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I certainly agree that it, it could rank well up there uh, because, you know, one of the things that I tell folks is over the course of my career, I, I've done a, a lot of different things. Uh, because I was kind of ADD and I was kind of looking for new challenges all the time. But when I finally decided to focus on security, uh, now I don't have to look for challenges. They come and find me, right? There's always going to be a new attack out there. There's always going to be uh, a new style of defense out there. There's always going to be new things that I have to learn all the time. Uh, and so, Really, uh, I'm very. I feel very, very fortunate to have, uh, you know, come up as a kid, uh, being surrounded by this technology, uh, being exposed to the kinds of things that I was exposed to, uh, and really kind of starting me off at an early age uh, down this long, long path that finds me where I am today. Well, and I love the thing you said earlier about that uh, that Commodore sixteen that it was the best you know hundred dollars or whatever that that your parents had spent, uh, and you know that makes me think I, you know I've been to I guess every Security Onion Con now, which for those who don't know Security Onion Con and we'll talk about it more a little bit later is kind of this this culmination. It's where all the the people who use Security Onion a lot of them get together and there are presentations and talks and all that. And one of the things I've loved about that, and I believe I think you've done this, it maybe every year at least the last couple is your parents have been there. And tell me, it has to be just the coolest feeling because something you always do is, is you're giving your kind of a you know, state of the onion talk and you, you take a moment and you thank your parents. And that, I just think that's one of the, the coolest thing and kind of, you know, speaks to what they've meant to you and, and that influence that they provided in your career. Absolutely. So I, you know, I, I really, I really have to credit them with, you know, getting me that first computer and kind of, you know, believing in me and kind of taking a chance on this this thing that they probably considered to be just a toy, um, but it really turned out to be so much more than than just a toy that you know some kid gets bored with after a week or two. Uh, this has really turned out to be really a, a lifelong passion for me uh, in terms of computers and what they can do to to automate our lives and to make our lives better. Uh, and you know. Uh, 
so I, I really have to say thank you to my parents for for doing that uh, and investing in me as a child. And so I I always do try to make sure that I recognize them at our Security on You conference uh, and and really kind of you know have our community who's there at the conference give my parents a round of applause because if it wasn't for that first computer, there probably never would have been a security onion uh, and therefore no conference, no uh, user meetings or anything like that. So, you know, it, it really does all kind of go back to that, that one moment in time. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, so you're uh, you're in high school and it sounds like you've already, you know, had an interest in computers you went to college there at, I guess, what is now called Augusta University, but it was, it was, I think it had a different name back then. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So we've been through a few names over the past few years. When I went to school there, it was called Augusta College. And uh, at some point, they changed the name to uh, Georgia Regents University. And then it was, no, wait a minute, there was Augusta State University, and then there was Georgia Regents University, and now we are Augusta University. And and glad, too. I think what I, what I gathered was that people were really glad to get the name Augusta back in the name of the university. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was a whole lot of debate about that, uh, about changing the name to Georgia Regents University, um, you know, and, and really losing the name Augusta really, really upset a lot of folks. So, you know, we're, we're very, very glad to, to have the name Augusta back in there and, and have that name recognition and that branding and that marketing that goes along with it. Um, because, you know, it's, we've got a great community here in Augusta and we, we certainly want to promote that. Yeah, absolutely. So now, were you a computer science major there? I was, yeah. Okay. So you did probably a lot of programming. And what was that like? Did you enjoy that part of your life? So when I started uh, at Augusta College way back in uh, the fall of 1995, I took my very first computer science course in college, and that was Computer Science 101. And, uh, so it was, it was pretty cool to, to say, okay, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm really going for it. I'm, I'm going to get my computer science degree and uh, I'm going to see if I can make a career out of this computer hobby thing. And so that was really cool. Uh, but at the same time, it was a little bit frustrating because for me, uh, I kind of felt like we were learning this theory uh, and these techniques that were 20 to 30 years old. Uh, and, you know, I certainly understand that universities and, and centers of higher learning, you know, they, they really focus on theory because it's, it's time tested, it's time proven. Uh, it's not just a, a fly by night kind of a fad that's going to go away tomorrow. Uh, but I really got kind of frustrated with that, that theory because, I was having trouble connecting the theory with the real world applicability. Uh, and so, you know, I, I did the best I could, uh, you know, those first couple of years in college, which, as I mentioned before, was I was really struggling because uh, not only were, were we trying to learn all this theory stuff, but I also didn't have that self-discipline. Uh, and so I, I had to I really had a couple of challenges in front of me, and that was, you know, learning the self-discipline, but also learning this theory, which, which I was having trouble connecting to real life. Um, so, you know, I, I did my, my first year of college, uh, and then I was invited to join the co-op program, which, which that helped tremendously, uh, being able to actually go into the workforce and actually work with computers, 
um, you know, in a real world setting. And that helped a little bit to sort of bridge that gap between kind of the old school theory and the real world applicability. Um, but ultimately what I realized was that, uh, when I was doing my co-op assignments in, in the real world workplace, uh, I was in many cases kind of teaching my coworkers things. And, and I kind of, I went into it with the expectation that it would be the reverse, that I was going to do this co-op thing so that guys in the real world could teach me stuff. Um, but it was, it was actually kind of the reverse. And so ultimately I said, well, you know what, I could probably go ahead and get a full-time job. Uh, and so that's what I did. I actually, I dropped out of college for a while just to go ahead and get a full-time job and start my career. Uh, and you know, that, that was kind of the turning point for me to, to really get focused on starting a career, starting a full-time job doing real things. Uh, and ultimately I went back to school, uh, took night classes to, to finish up my degree. And, and that's when things really started to click because even though I was still struggling with, okay, here's some theory that they're trying to teach me. I, I had so much real world work experience that I could connect the dots between the theory and the real, real world applicability. And uh, I had also started building up that that self-discipline that we talked about. And so, you know, even though I was working full time and going to school full time, uh, I was able to, you know, juggle all of these things and have the self-discipline to, you know, do well in school, to to get through all my exams and all of my projects and things like that. And so, you know, ultimately, I, I, I did graduate uh, and, um, you know, was was very, very thankful to have that. Uh, full computer science education. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, I kind of see a theme emerge amongst a lot of people in information security that having trouble going, you know, starting with the practical knowledge and then moving into the tangible real world stuff. So a lot of people do kind of what you described. They get the real world experience and then kind of backtrack into the theory. Is that something you've observed elsewhere beyond just, just your own experience? Yeah, I've seen that with with several other folks as well, uh, and you know, so I don't know what the answer to that is because, like I said before, there is no one size fits all. There is no answer for everybody. I, I think there are some folks who you know really really can dig into that theory type stuff, uh, and you know they there are some folks that you know they they just love the kind of the abstract. Uh, and you know, to the to the extreme that maybe maybe they don't do as well when it comes to the real world practical stuff because they're they're so focused on thinking abstractly. But I, I think if you want to be successful in our industry, I think you really have to have a a foot in both of those, right? I think you kind of have to straddle the fence between uh, theory and real world because you really have to draw on those theoretical concepts, and then at the same time, be able to apply them to the real world situations that you find yourself in today or tomorrow, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I think, I think there is no one size fits all, but I, I think we do have to give ourselves a healthy dose of, of both the theory and the practical. No, I agree fully. I think that's very well put. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about kind of professional life. Um, 
you know, the different jobs you've had. And I guess a lot of us have humble beginnings. I, I started my very first job was selling watermelons on the side of the road. Uh, <laughs> what was uh, what was your very first job? My very first job was when I was in high school. Uh, I was uh, hired to work at a local independent pharmacy. And uh, that was pretty cool because it, it wasn't like your typical job that most high schoolers get um, because I had to learn a lot of stuff. Uh, I literally had to learn every single drug name that was in that pharmacy, all the, the brand names and the generic names. I had to understand drug interactions. Uh, I worked there for a couple of years, and, and by the time I left, I was basically functioning as the pharmacist. I just didn't have uh, the actual degree to prove it, right? I, but I was doing – Or the salary. Well, I didn't have the salary. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, so that was really kind of fascinating to me. And, and I, I actually considered going into pharmacy because uh, I did enjoy my time doing that. But what, what I really realized was that what I liked about that independent pharmacy was the fact that it was an independent pharmacy. Uh, and the fact that, you know, those really don't exist anymore. Uh, you know, so at that point in time, it was like, okay, if, if you're going to go into pharmacy school, you're going to wind up working at Walgreens or CVS or Walmart. And that's pretty much your only choices. Um, but I really liked the fact that, you know, I had worked at this independent pharmacy. The pharmacist was actually the owner. Uh, and so, you know, he was in control of his own destiny. And I, I thought that was, you know, really pretty cool. Uh, and so that was, that was kind of one of the things that kind of hinted at me, maybe thinking about, well, maybe someday I should start my own business. Uh, and now here we are. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it's funny you mentioned that about the few independent pharmacies that exist. Cause I remember I grew up in Mayfield, Kentucky, and we had one independent pharmacy. It was a small town, so we didn't have many pharmacies, but we had one that was independent. And I remember that they always hired people in high school to do the job very much it sounds like exactly like what you were doing and it was an incredibly prized job because it was it was indoor first of all uh <laughs> it, it wasn't farming tobacco or all those things that you did in, in kentucky um or or i guess cotton or peanuts or whatever in georgia but uh it was it was a very prized job for those reasons and also just because you actually like learn tangible skills and i know a lot of those people would actually go on and end up getting uh degrees and becoming pharmacists it sounds like you didn't do that but but you were doing a lot of the same things and learning a lot of those different components that go into what is what can be a pretty thought intensive job absolutely and uh you know so uh, it was it was a fascinating time because there were you know like any job it had its ups and downs uh, it had its advantages and disadvantages and there were some days where you know it was it was just overwhelming and I would just want to quit um, but it was a really good experience I mean my boss literally told me when I started there he looked me in the eye and he said Doug if you can work for me then you can work for anybody and that was absolutely true because he really pushed us hard as as the owner of the business, you know, it was it was in his best interest to keep us uh, efficient, to keep us working all the time, to keep us um, moving and, and doing things to make the business better. Uh, and, you know, to this day, I've, I've never had another boss that uh, that pushed me as hard as as he did. Uh, and so I do have to give him some credit for for, again, kind of helping me to form this self-discipline. Uh, that that I really uh, didn't have growing up, but this this first job really helped me to to build that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess that's important. I mean, you're you're your own boss now, so so I guess you kind of push yourself in the same way maybe this individual pushed you. 
Exactly. So, you know, when we talked about before me getting up early in the morning, I mean, that's that's one of the things where, you know, I realized that uh, there's there's a mountain of work in front of me uh, and it's not going to get done if I'm laying in the bed sleeping. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I forge ahead every single day, get up early in the morning and uh, realizing that, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a th- single step. So every day I've got to take another step and another step and another step and just keep on going. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pause just a moment and tell you about one of our sponsors. And I really love it when I can talk about sponsors uh, that are products I actually use. And that product in this case is CloudShark. The best way I can describe CloudShark is like Wireshark in your browser. It allows you to upload packet capture files, tag them, and perform basic analysis on them. I actually use CloudShark quite heavily when writing Practical Packet Analysis 3 and developing the online course of the same name. It allowed me to tag the packet captures in ways that made sense to me, uh, so I could tag them whether they were troubleshooting scenarios or security scenarios, even tag them based upon the book chapter or the protocols contained within them. Save me a ton of time. It provides a lot of great analysis features too. It'll allow you to search through packet captures using a standard search language or filters that you're used to from other tools. Uh, It also allows you to scan for security threats. This is a pretty new feature and I had a chance to play with it recently and it's really neat for providing investigative context as you're going through a PCAP. Now, CloudShark is made by the folks at QA Cafe who are good friends of mine and you can learn more about it by going to cloudshark.org. If you decide to take a serious look at it, make sure you tell them that you heard about it from me on the Source Code Podcast. Now, back to Doug. Well, now, you and I know each other. Uh, We've known each other for for several years now, and I think we met while you were at Mandiant originally, and eventually I would go on to work at Mandiant, and there would be some overlap there. But there were a few steps in between college and Mandiant. So can you can you t- speak to that a little bit about how you, you know a lot of people listening to this are thinking oh man Mania Fire that's a great place to work you know I want to I want to do something like that or work for a similar company how does one get to that point or at least how did Doug Burks get to that point So when I graduated uh, actually before I graduated college I, I mentioned that I was in the co-op program uh, but I I figured that I could get a full time job which I did so I uh, my first real full time job was working in a small IT shop at a, a chemical plant. And uh, my title was microcomputer specialist, which is really just a fancy term for help desk. And so I was kind of the break fix kind of guy. Uh, and so I would go around fixing PC problems and uh, things like that. Uh, but I, I, I worked really hard. And, uh, you know, at my, my one-year review, uh, I found myself being promoted to systems administrator. So I, I ran all of the, uh, the servers in the server room. And, you know, one thing I mentioned before is that I, I kind of had ADD because I would, I would kind of get bored with one thing. So I would try something else just looking for new challenges. And so, you know, I was my title was systems administrator, but I would do everything from server administration to application development to web development to uh, switches and routers and firewalls, uh, really everything that I could get my dirty little hands on uh, to try to find a new challenge and to try to to learn something new. Uh, you know, that's that's what I would do to try to keep myself fresh and to try to keep myself growing. So I worked there for eight and a half years, and um, throughout that time, I I graduated uh, from Augusta University with my computer science degree, 
And I kind of realized that, you know, I'm, I'm working on these certifications. I, I, I was a Red Hat certified engineer. Uh, I got my CCNA and I was working towards the uh, CCNP with uh, my goal of ultimately doing a CCIE. But I started thinking, well, you know, assuming I go through all these Cisco classes and certifications and I get the CCIE, what am I going to do then? And what hit me was, okay, well, if I do the CCIE, my next step is going to be security. But then I started thinking, well, <laughs> if that's my ultimate end goal, why am I even bothering going through all these networking certifications when I could just go ahead and start focusing on security right now? So that's what I did. Uh, I really started focusing on security and, and specifically defense and, and network monitoring and so I, I read everything that I could get my hands on uh, and, you know, pretty soon came across uh, this guy by the name of Richard Baitlick, uh, who had written several books on network security monitoring and was a very prolific blogger. And uh, so read everything of his that I could uh, and just found myself just uh, enraptured with this concept of network security monitoring uh, and how powerful it was for monitoring and defending your network. Uh, and, you know, come to find out that, you know, here's this entire community of guys that that like me was inspired by Cliff Stoll and the Cuckoo's Egg. Uh, you know, so uh, Cliff Stoll inspired this guy named Todd Heberlein, who wrote the original reference paper on network security monitoring over 26 years ago. Uh, he, in turn, kind of inspired Richard Baitlick and Bam Vischer to really implement the, the open source implementation of network security monitoring uh, in a tool called Squeal. Uh, and then Richard writing books about Squeal and network security monitoring. So I was just, you know, I threw myself into this world of network security monitoring as, as deeply as I could. And, you know, one of the things that I, I quickly realized uh, was that there's all these sort of individual open source pieces of software uh, that you can use for network security monitoring. So you've got Snort, you've got Squeal, you've got Daemon Logger, you've got NetSniffNG, and each of them requires their own installation and configuration. And, you know, so one of the things that I kind of saw as a problem across our industry was that there were folks out there who needed to monitor and defend their networks, but they were struggling with just getting the software to compile. You know, so it's kind of like the when you walk up to the roller coaster ride and it says, uh, you're not tall enough to ride this ride, uh, which is fundamentally unjust because now these folks are responsible for defending a network and they really don't have the proper tools that they need to do so. Uh, and so, you know, I quickly found it to be my mission in life to try to make these tools and techniques as approachable as possible so that any old Windows admin off the street can click next, next, finish. Uh, and get the kind of network visibility that they need to more capably monitor and defend their networks. Uh, and so that's kind of um, how I got really involved in, you know, starting this open source project called Security Onion. Uh, I put it out there in the Internet and um, I guess probably about a year, maybe a year and a half uh, after the first release, uh, my, my hero and role model, Richard Baitlick, he found the project, 
uh, he sent me an email and he said, hey, Doug, I, I really like what you're doing with Security Onion. Would you mind if I used it in the classes that I teach on network security monitoring? And I said, well, <laughs> yes, of course, please. Uh, I would be honored. Uh, and so uh, Richard and I began talking a little bit more and more. Uh, and so ultimately, uh, he was hired to be the chief security officer at Mandiant, uh, and he needed a deputy. So uh, he hired me to be deputy chief security officer at M Mandiant. Uh, I worked for him for several years there, uh, and it was an absolute uh, amazing time in my life to be able to work with and for my hero and role model uh, and and see his kind of outlook on you know, not just network security monitoring, but also the way that um, his outlook on leadership and management as a whole. Uh, and so that was really just an amazing time uh, being able to work for one of the best cybersecurity companies in the world, uh, to work for this amazing guy uh, who'd written all these books uh, and has all of this just encyclopedia of knowledge uh, in his brain. Uh, and so that was kind of my... Um, sequence of events that really led up to to working at Mandiant uh, and and working with uh, some of the best folks in the industry. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a great story. I don't think I ever realized that I, for some reason in my head I thought Mandiant kind of came first and then Security Onion after, but it was actually kind of the opposite. Now, when you were creating Security Onion, well, I guess first of all I have to ask the name. You know, there's this whole concept of peeling back layers. Um, ogres have layers, cakes have layers, <laughs> why onions? So, um, the name actually came from, um, as you kind of hinted at, you know, there is this, uh, sort of play on words that came from the movie Shrek. Uh, and so actually if you go to my blog, blog.securityonion.net, and if you go to the very first blog post, there's actually a paraphrase of that famous line from Shrek uh, where I put this, put all this in the context of security and peeling back the layers. And so the name actually came from the blog itself. So I, I started the blog before I ever started Security Onion as a, uh, as an open source software project. Uh, and so, you know, the idea was, Hey, I'll start this blog and I'll just start, you know, writing about different security things and, um, you know, whatever tools or techniques I was using at the time. And then when I said, oh, okay, maybe what I need to do is build a Linux distribution that has all of these tools built into it. Uh, and so maybe just for name recognition and marketing, maybe I'll use the same name as I used in my blog. Uh, and so sure enough, blog is named Security Onion. Open source software is named Security Onion, uh, and it's it's all about peeling back the layers of your network and making your adversaries cry. Fair enough. Okay, I don't guess I ever knew that story. For some reason in my head, I was thinking, okay, well, Georgia Vidalia onions are famous from Georgia. Maybe there's some connection there, but but maybe not. <laughs> Great. So let's. Uh, so at some point, you know, you're you're doing the Security Onion thing. You do it for a long time. Does it ever seem like maybe this isn't such a good idea? Like, was there any point in which you really struggled? I mean, obviously, like, there's a lot of work that goes into this, right? And for those who have never listened, if you've tried to just install Squeal alone, that's enough to make you cry, let alone integrating <laughs> all this other stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly convinced there are maybe, like, less than 20 people in the world who successfully installed Squeal and lived to tell about it. <laughs> yeah. but, but, like, going through all that, I mean, there's a lot of challenges involved in there, and, and – 
you were kind of doing this in parallel to your, your day job in a lot of ways. Was there ever a time you thought about like, it was just too much. Like you thought about just giving it up. Absolutely. So the, the very first release of security onion that I did, I put it out there on the internet and nobody downloaded it. So I was the one who cried. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had this mindset of, you know, I, I put all this work and effort into this thing. Uh, I put it out there on the internet and, and nobody, nobody cares, nobody appreciates it. So why did I just go through all of these months of blood, sweat, and tears uh, when, when nobody knows who I am or what this project is, nobody even cares. So I, I literally had given up on Security Onion for probably almost a year. Uh, so I think that was 2008. I started it, released the first version in 2009. And it wasn't until 2010 when Ubuntu released Ubuntu 1004, uh, I needed to rebuild Security Onion for myself because I was using it. Uh, and so I figured, well, if I'm going to rebuild it for myself, I might as well put the new version out there just in case maybe somebody, one one person might download it and get some benefit from it. Uh, and so, you know, sure enough, over time, uh, the word got out, folks started downloading it. Uh, and, and really the turning point was when Richard Baitlick found out about it. Because when somebody like Richard Baitlick, who has like 40,000 followers on Twitter, starts talking about something, people start listening. Uh, and so that was really kind of the the snowball effect of, <clears throat> excuse me, okay, now folks are really starting to pay attention to this project. Now folks are actually starting to implement it and deploy it in their networks. Uh, but there, there absolutely was a time at the beginning of the project where I had given up on it. Uh, and I think the key takeaway there is, uh, you know, a common phrase in, in business circles is, you know, especially when it comes to startup businesses is push through the dip. Right. There's going to be this dip where, you know, you take your business out there, you take your project out there, you take your idea out there, whatever the case may be. There's going to be this dip where, you know, nobody's returning your calls. Uh, nobody cares about you. And it feels like this thing, this idea that you had is not going to work and you just need to give up and try something else. Uh, but, you know, in my case, I pushed through the dip uh, and, you know, here we are. Uh, it's, it's been absolutely a success story. Uh, and so, you know, the key takeaway is push through the dip. I want to pause just one more time. I want to quickly tell you about another one of our sponsors, uh, which is Squirrel. And Squirrel is a tailor-made threat hunting platform designed to aid security analysts in finding threats that other tools miss and enable organizations to investigate threats faster with fewer resources. They make this possible by fusing data sources into a graph exploration environment that allows analysts to easily pivot through diverse data sets using linked data analysis. And I can tell you personally, I'm a big fan of this approach. I've advocated graph-based thinking for quite a while. As opposed to detecting single anomalous events or users, Squirrel's investigation supporting security analytics are focused on detecting the tactics, techniques, and procedures of cyber adversaries. Now, one more cool thing I love about Squirrel is that they've pioneered some great thought leadership and a lot of content on threat hunting in the community. They produce some really great blog posts I like reading, and they're getting ready to release a new Threat Hunting Academy lecture series. I'm actually going to be recording one of these lectures for them soon, so make sure you check that out. You can learn more about threat hunting and the Squirrel product at squirrel.com. That's S-Q-R-R-L.com. Make sure you tell them that you learned about their product from me on the Source Code Podcast. Let's get back to Doug to wrap up now. 
Uh, obviously, you run Security Onion Solutions now, and, and one of the things you said earlier was a lot of the people you grew up with in Augusta, they, they, their really opinion was, you know, get me out of Augusta. And you even admittedly said at some point you thought to have a computer job, you would have to do the same. So it has to be a pretty awesome feeling to not only have a computer job in Augusta, but also you know you're a job creator. You're creating jobs. You you, you have an employee now. You're you're trying to grow this company that is actually going to employ people in Augusta. Is, is that just like a, a great? Is that something you think about a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I feel like it's a great privilege and honor to be able to um, to stay in my hometown uh, to. You know, to not have to to leave the town that I I grew up in and the town that I love, uh, to stay here and to contribute to this community that we have in Augusta, and and to give back to our community because it's given so much to me, uh, and so you know, uh, I have a chief operating officer that I hired last year, Phil Planamira, uh, who's a hometown boy just like me. Uh, as it turns out, we actually went to high school together. The funny thing is, at the time. Uh, the only way that we knew each other was through chorus. We sang together in chorus. Uh, he was a couple years older than me. Uh, and you know, neither of us knew that the other one was into computers at all. Uh, and so it wasn't until a few years later that, um, you know, after having graduated from college and, um, you know, one day I was, I was searching the, I was searching for something on snort. I happened across this, uh, CSRA snort users group mailing list. And I saw this name there, Phil Planamira. Uh, and so I sent him an email. I was like, Hey, did you go to Evans high school? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, as it turns out, you know, we kind of reconnected there. Uh, we both kind of wound up, uh, both taking our own, uh, strange routes through life and, and careers to wind up in security uh, and specifically to wind up in network security and, and defense uh, and, you know, ultimately we've, we've worked together very closely over the last few years and, um, building this ISSA chapter and B-Sides Augusta and the other things that we do. And so when it came time to, to start my own company, uh, and really kind of grow it and say, okay, now it's time to, to have a chief operating officer, Phil was, was absolutely the right choice for the job. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's a thrill to me to be able to support our local community, uh, to be able to provide uh, at least one job right now, if not more jobs in the future, uh, and, and really kind of continue to build this uh, cybersecurity community that we have here in Augusta. Uh, that's wonderful. And, and as a guy who kind of comes from my own small town, which I value a lot, that uh, that resonates with me. And, and certainly uh, your town's lucky to have you. And I've always said, I, I don't think you and I have ever been in the same place at any given time where you've not asked me, Chris, when do you move into Augusta? I have this I have this theory that you're actually on the payroll of the Augusta Tourism and, and, and Labor Board there. <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me, Chris, when are you moving to Augusta? Uh, anyways, on to the next question. <laughs> Uh, you did get me in Georgia, so you, you know it's closer. Getting, getting there, you're, you're getting there, Chris. Yeah, just uh, just uh, maybe about 120 more miles to go, I guess. Um, now you mentioned giving back to the community, and one of the things that I think is so cool that you're doing. Obviously, you've been involved with uh, B sides Augusta, which for my money is probably one of the best security conferences I've ever been to. And, and people think about B sides as kind of these like you know little on the side conferences, but but I absolutely love B sides Augusta. And now you're doing something here. Pretty soon, I guess in late April, um, B-Sides STEM. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. So after doing B-Sides Augusta for the last few years and um, sending out surveys after every single one, really kind of soliciting feedback from our community over, you know, what did you like about B-Sides Augusta? What would you like to see us add? What would you like us to improve? One of the common themes of that feedback was we really need a way to get younger kids involved. Uh, and, you know, as you know, security conferences, most of them are uh, fairly adult in nature. You know, some of them may contain some some talks with some spicy language, shall we say, which you may not want to introduce your kids into that kind of atmosphere. Uh, and so, you know, we got all this feedback for sort of this kid-friendly environment where, you know, we could take uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and introduce them to information security. And, and you know, really, that's something which really hit home with me because, you know, just like I said before, I got my, my first computer when I was six, and I really found it to be empowering uh, to be able to, to learn how to program computers and, and to have this mindset of uh, you do have control over this thing, and you can tell it what to do. So anyway, besides STEM is, is uh, you know, our mission to really try to get that word out to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, and so we're, we're putting together this event, and we are, you know, bringing together these kids uh, and exposing them to programming, to cybersecurity concepts, uh, and uh, really trying to get them excited, get them motivated. Uh, and really one of the big things for me is to, to take kids, which, you know, if, if you kind of look at kids overall, the, the, the mentality that you see is this mentality of a consumer, you know, that I'm going to, you know, take my, my iPad and I'm going to consume YouTube videos, right? And I'm just going to watch videos all day long on YouTube. Uh, but what I would like to see is kids change from being a consumer to being a producer. Uh, somebody who not just is not just sitting back and, and watching YouTube videos all day long, but is actually uh, writing computer programs, uh, maybe producing their own YouTube videos on Python scripting or whatever the case may be. Uh, but really getting kids excited about technology and engineering uh, and specifically uh, from a, an information security perspective. Yeah, and it's amazing to see how it's kind of come full circle and that, you know, you, we talked earlier that there was really just kind of this moment where, you know, your parents bought you this Commodore 16 and, and that really sparked things for you. And, and of course, not everyone is, is going to be fortunate enough to have a similar circumstance happen or, or people have different experiences and people may not have parents they may live with, with other people or, or whatever. And this is really going to provide an opportunity to create that spark and people who maybe don't have similar opportunities. And, and that's just a, a great thing. And, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you guys are doing this. I'm, I, you know, the rural technology fund, my, my organization is, is one of the sponsors and we're thrilled to be involved with it. And I just think this is one of the coolest things I've seen, not just in Augusta and not just, uh, local here in Georgia, but in security kind of in general. So, so kudos for that. Yeah, we appreciate that. And we, we certainly appreciate your support with the rural technology fund and, um, you know, really love to see the work that you're doing there, uh, because we are really working towards common goals of, of giving back to communities, uh, and really kind of raising up the next generation of technologists.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last uh, the last question I'll, I'll ask you, um, and this is one I kind of ask everybody right at the end is, you know, we, we've sit here and we've talked about your story and how, how you got to the point you're at now. What would your advice be to someone um, who's listening to this who wants to follow a similar path? Maybe they want to run their own company one day. Maybe they want to uh, just get to a high level in information security. They want to become a practitioner, whether they're in college, they're young, or maybe they're older in their careers and they're looking to switch. What would your advice to those people be? I think the best thing that a person can do uh, if they really want to succeed in information security is build a home lab. Uh, you know, build your own firewall, build your own intrusion detection system, um, download Kali, download some vulnerable VMs, uh, and really, you know, learn about attacks by performing those attacks. Um, and then see what they look like on the wire, see what they look like from a host-based perspective. Uh, because, you know, a home lab can be done very inexpensively uh, and, you know, I've, I've seen way too many folks in this industry who they really kind of make the excuse of, well, my employer won't pay for training. Uh, you know, I, I can't get to where I want to go because of X, Y, or Z. But the idea here is that, you know, instead of making excuse, excuses, let's actually figure out a way that we can, we can do this, we can expose ourselves to the concepts and the techniques uh, that we need to to grow ourselves as individuals, to grow ourselves as practitioners. Uh, and so really a home lab is one of the best ways of doing that. Uh, some of the, the smartest folks uh, in this industry that, that I know and respect, uh, they're all running some form of, of a home lab. Uh, and, you know, that's just one of those things that really helps to to grow and stretch you. And, and I, I would certainly recommend that to, to anybody starting out in this profession. Wonderful advice. Well, well listen, I know we're, we're close to up on time here. Uh, before we go, is there anything you want to you want to plug or talk about, uh, whether it's Security Onion Solutions or, or any upcoming conference, anything like that? Absolutely. Security Onion Solutions, uh, we provide training classes. We have on-site classes. That's an immersive four-day experience with lots of labs and exercises uh, to really reinforce that training material. Uh, we've got online classes as well, and we've got the Security Onion Conference uh, in September. Uh, so definitely look forward to um, to seeing folks out at the conference. And uh, if you have any questions about any of that, you can go to our website, securityonionsolutions.com, uh, and you can reach out to us using the contact links there. Wonderful. Well, well listen, Doug, I appreciate you taking your time uh, to tell your story to our listeners. I think people are certainly going to get a lot out of it. So uh, with that said, uh, thanks, Doug. You have a good one. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. That's it for us, folks. That's going to be the end of the second episode of the Source Code Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. Listen, do me a favor. If you liked what you heard today, make sure and take a minute to reach out to Doug and thank him for being on here. You can find him on Twitter, at Doug Burks, and I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. As well, you can always tweet me, at ChrisSanders88, with any general feedback you have on the podcast. I love hearing from listeners. Uh, or if you're interested in sponsoring, maybe you have a suggestion for a guest, I love to hear all that as well. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Source Code Podcast uh, via iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcasting outlets. You can find direct links to all those things at chrissanders.org slash 
podcast. Uh, always appreciate uh, you subscribing. Our next episode will be out two weeks from today, and I really think you'll like uh, the guest we have lined up. With that said, I'll leave y'all till the next time. I appreciate y'all listening, and as always, it's a beautiful day to catch bad guys.